Hello everyone, welcome back to Unraveling Impulse. My name is Nisa, and I hope you guys are having a good week this week. Um, we are in February, which, what? <laughs> it's so funny because I always feel like January is the longest month of the year. I January, every year it comes, it always feels like it's a year long within itself. Longest month ever. Not a fan. But then all of a sudden January is gone and February comes and I'm literally like, it may as well be December. <laughs> like We may as well be at the end of this year because as soon as February comes, I just feel like the year starts to fly. So it's funny how that works. <laughs> but here we are. It's February. We're already approaching mid-February so, and we, and we all know February is already a short month. So, I mean, it's almost done guys. Um, you know, living in Canada, it's cold AF here. So, um, not the biggest fan of January and February and honestly, most of March either. <laughs> and you just kind of start looking forward to the warmer weather. So in and as much as um, I complain about the fact that like, oh my gosh, it's already February and the year's going by already, I'm also counting down to the warmer months, like the chaos. <laughs> the chaos. It's like, do you want it to speed up or slow down? Pick something, girl. But anyways, here we are. Um, it's, I'm, I'm having a pretty, I'm having a pretty decent start to this month, you know, like January was a bit of a shit show just in terms of like, we were coming out of, you know, a whole other variant and all that stuff. I mean, we're not even out of it, but it was just thrust upon us. <laughs> so January still felt like, uh, having to navigate all of that. Um, but you know, um, February's here. Things are kind of easing very, very slowly. There's still things happening around us that are crazy. The convoys, ugh, I don't even want to get into it, but, um, if you're keeping abreast of Canadian news, then you know about these truckers and the protests against vaccination mandates and, you know, that is one piece of it, but when you're when you're uh, also using it as a platform for hate, um, racism and bigotry, white supremacy, that's that's, you know, another thing. And oftentimes the two things are tied together and um yeah, it's it's pretty wild. But anyway, um, despite all that, life moves on. The world keeps turning. Um, <laughs> uh, and this week, I actually want to focus on Black History Month. Um, I don't know that I'm going to spend... Well, this month is short to begin with, so... I don't know if that I'll do like the rest of the month of my podcast episodes on Black History, but 
I will do one this week. Um, and mostly just in reflection of how I feel about Black History Month, especially this year, because I actually shared a little piece that I wrote last week on my Instagram page uh, at Unraveling Impulse. If you don't follow me there, you can. Um, and yeah, I kind of wrote like a little love letter to um, my Black immigrant parents who um, came to Canada from Guyana, from the Caribbean, and um, how their experiences gave me access to understanding the Black immigrant experience. Um, and I'm going to actually read it to you guys um, towards the end of this episode. But I really wanted to focus the first part of what I'm going to talk about on a little bit of history of um, Black history in Canada and why we celebrate. A lot of people um, associate Black History Month with uh, America, which they should because that's where it originated. Um, But Canada actually started to celebrate Black History Month I believe, I want to say in the mid-70s, I think it started off as like Black History Week. And guys, I'm being very like, please go fact check. (laughs) Not like I'm throwing out like very vague um, dates and stuff. I don't remember exact dates, but just based on what I do know, um, I believe that it started in the mid-70s and it wasn't official But in 1995, 96, um, it became official in Canada. Um, So in 1995, the House of Commons officially recognized February as Black History Month in Canada, following a motion that was actually introduced Uh, by the first African-Canadian woman elected to Parliament, the Honourable Jean Augustine. And yeah, uh, that's how Black History Month in Canada came to be. So 1995. In 95, I was what, 15, 14? Um, I would have just been entering high school, something like that. So yeah, um, not super, super long ago, was it officially um, instated or introduced <clears throat> as an officially recognized um, month? So that's a little bit of um, a little bit of surface level history, if you will, <laughs> on Black History Month and, and when it started in Canada. It would have started much. Um, much earlier on in the U.S. As I said, that's where it originated. Um, But the reason that we celebrate, celebrate or recognize Black History Month in Canada, as far as my understanding, is that oftentimes in Canadian history, the Black experience, the Black contribution, um has been erased. Um, So 
this is this is kind of an aside, but it still ties in. When I was growing up, um, and if you are a Canadian millennial um, who grew up here, uh, especially if you're an elderly millennial, like if you grew up uh, between 81 to 83, I consider you an elderly millennial. Um, <laughs> and we would have grown up watching what was called the Heritage Canada commercials. I don't know if they were, if commercial is the right word, but for lack of a better one, I'm going to use it. And essentially Heritage Canada commercials were put on by the government of Canada. And there would be like one minute segments or snippets of Canadian history that was like reenacted by actors and so every like I don't know I think maybe every month they released a new a new history um like reenactment of Canadian history and um the one of the first uh introductions I guess I should say of black history in Canada that I had was through that Heritage Canada commercial and I don't know if for those of you again who grew up here who are Canadian or grew up in Canada if you guys remember during that time there was that specific one about the underground railroad sorry underground railroad and um you know like it was her name was Liza and she was uh, a an American African-American um, enslaved person and she she escaped to Canada and she was waiting for her husband um, to come and she was like hysterical because she didn't think he was going to come and she and her whoever the the I don't know the Canadian like um, who I guess helped her to freedom um, was trying to like comfort her and then Liza goes running and she's like no pa pa like <laughs> it was this whole thing like she goes running and she's like he's not gonna come he's not she was like hysterical and then all of a sudden she sees like a carriage pull up and um, then they go into like I don't know if it's a church or what it was and you see like her husband come out of like a crate or whatever it was and um that's the commercial so uh and I think it ends by the narrator saying like you know the underground railroads freeing thousands of um enslaved Americans African Americans in Canada as part of our heritage so that's a very like vague <laughs> description of the commercial but that's pretty good that's a pretty good memory of it because that was a very long time ago that I remember seeing that commercial and I'm sure you can probably find the stuff on YouTube as well I might look it up after um just to for the nostalgia of it but yeah um that's one of the first introductions to black history that I clearly recall having was through one of those commercials um, the Her the Canada Heritage commercials. Um, and the thing about black 
history in Canada is it's always told through this lens of offering freedom to black people. Like we are known as the North Star, the, you know, the the railway to freedom, like freedom is in Canada and it's just very romanticized, you know, like that's that was always my understanding of um the history with black people that Canada had was like, oh, we were the good guys, you know, like we we gave freedom to black people who were coming from America. Um and it it wasn't until I was dead ass <laughs> like in university. I was a good twenty years old when I learned that slavery actually existed here. And like the way my jaw dropped when I found out because I had no idea. We were not taught about it in school at all. And not just slavery of black people, but slavery of indigenous people as well. Thousands. There were more indigenous people enslaved actually than even black people at one point. But the black, you know, they didn't, they didn't have um, accurate accounts of how many black people were actually enslaved. So I'm sure there were way more, at least historians say that there were likely way more um, enslaved black people and indigenous people than were actually, than are, is actually recorded. Um, so yeah, I was 20 years old when I um, learned uh, that slavery existed in Canada for over 200 years. Um it juxtaposed with the 30 years of the Underground Railroad, um, uh, Road to Freedom, quote unquote, Road to Freedom. Um, so that just, I just wanted to share that to just give you a little sense of like the erasure of the black presence in Canada and the fact that we know so little of the truth, just like um, our understanding of indigenous history in Canada is very limited. Like there's stuff we're still learning, you know, um, like all the un the unmarked graves, um, stuff that's been just coming up. Like a lot of stuff has been literally pushed down and hidden um, so that we'd never find out. And realizing that that um, the legacy of history in Canada is one of, especially the, the more insidious, violent, colonialist, white supremacist, racist parts of Canadian history are essentially erased. Um it really, it gives you pause <laughs> and it really, it really makes you wonder like what exactly was happening in this country? Like what's the truth? You know, at least when I first found out about the existence of slavery, like that really just made me question everything that I had learned and, and wondered what I hadn't learned about um, you know, in terms of Canadian history, especially when it came to the history of um, people of color, black people, 
Um, so yeah. Um, I don't want to go into too much of, you know, the enslavement, like whatever, uh, you know, enslavement in Canada and whatever. I just wanted to really point out that like, you know, there's a huge gap in our understanding of the black presence in, in Canadian history. Um, and knowing that there were in black people who were enslaved in this country for over 200 years is, um, really telling, right? And what I want to do is, I'm not a historian <laughs> by any stretch, but I actually listened to, my best friend put me onto this, um, two-part series on CBC. If you actually just Google, um, it's called Canada Slavery Secret, The Whitewashing of 200 Years of Enslavement. It's a CBC two-part special. It's like a radio broadcast. So you can just like listen to it in your car. You can listen to it at home. It's audio, but it's a two-part series. And I listened to it a couple years ago and it's so well done. Um, you learn so much about um, that part of Canadian history. And um, I highly, highly recommend you if you haven't heard of it or haven't listened to it or are interested in understanding more about the black presence in Canada I highly recommend that you start with that um that two-part series um because they do a really great job of um introducing um our understanding of slavery in Canada and um you get to actually hear a lot of like black theorists and professors in Canada um talk um in that series so I recommend uh I highly recommend um listening to that and like I said it's uh through CBC so again, it's called Canada Slavery Secret, The Whitewashing of 200 Years of Enslavement. So just Google that and you'll see it come up and you can you can listen to it. It's really great. Um, what I also wanted to talk about is um, the West Indian domestic scheme. So I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but because Canada is sort of presented as, you know, we're very much marketed as a cultural mosaic. Again, when we think about black people, we think underground railroad, we think freedom, we think fair treatment, all of this stuff, which is not true. That's not the full story. Um, but in terms of immigration, um, you know, I am the child of two immigrants. Both of my parents are from Guyana. Um, both of them came here. My mom came here at the top of the 70s. So I think she came here in 1970, I want to say. I And I believe my dad came not long after that. Um, and the, the reason that my parents could even come to this country um, in the early 70s was mostly due to the fact that um, 
the prime minister at that time, which incidentally was Justin Trudeau's father, um, Pierre Trudeau, he had actually really worked on opening up the Canadian borders. Prior to that, um, people of color, black people, were not let into this country. And if they were, it was under very rigid, um, very rigid policies. Um, and one of the catalysts, I, I would say, based on my understanding, based on what I've read, one of the catalysts to even getting to a place where not only black people, but other people of color could come into this country in the 70s under Pierre Trudeau was the West Indian domestic scheme. And um, I actually wanted to, before I even get into the West Indian domestic scheme, I wanted to read like a little, little snippet of what was the policy exclusion that took place um, prior to the borders being open to people of color so that you can have a full understanding of what was actually happening. Um, So... Canada's early 20th century immigration policies deliberately excluded groups uh, thought unsuited for integration. Beyond ordinary screening overseas, Canadian officials often took extraordinary steps to prevent these undesirable immigrants from traveling to Canada. These included rigorous screening overseas, the head tax, and even diplomatic agreements to limit emigration from other countries. Uh, However, Canadian authorities encountered circumstances in which identifying undesirable immigrants as such was politically difficult. For example, British British subjects from India or the West Indies could claim privileged legal status in Canada, despite being likely targets for exclusion based on race. Canadian authorities responded with indirect restrictions in these cases, requiring immigrants from these places to have more money in their possession or make a continuous journey from their country of origin to Canada. Between direct policies and screening measures, Canada's authorities developed a robust regime of preventative exclusion. However, their efforts to forestall Black immigrants from the United States went well beyond these other examples. Canadian immigration officials used their authority to obstruct African-American applicants for immigration to Canada in the early 20th century through the selective enforcement of regulations, deception, bribery, and other questionable methods. So much for the Underground Railroad and North Star. Um, One of the key factors in the exclusion of African-Americans was Canadian domestic pressure. Many Canadian civic organizations wrote to government officials demanding a ban on black immigration. The IODE in Alberta called an emergency meeting to draft a letter on the topic, stating, We view with alarm the continuous and rapid influx of Negro settlers. This immigration will have the immediate effect of discouraging white settlement in the vicinity of the Negro farms and will deprecate the value or deprecate depreciate the value of all holdings within such areas so these were the types of uh, ideologies and thought processes that were going through um that were were widespread like these beliefs were widespread um prior to um 
policies on immigration in Canada changing in the very late 60s, like I think 1969. Um, so that's just a very, very like surface level. I just wanted to give you a snippet of what the ide- ideologies around policy was during those days and that the exclusion of people of color and black people in particular, including African-Americans who at some point when, you know, back in the day, 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 I'm like, I don't know if did Canada forget (laughs) that they were the North Star? What happened? Underground Railroad. They were had particularly, the government of Canada particularly excluded African-Americans as well from coming to Canada to emigrate. So, um, that's, that's part of, you know, that's part of black history. And, um, eventually, um, we come to the West Indian domestic scheme. I'm skipping over a bunch of things just because obviously, like, again, I'm not a historian, (laughs) um, and I really just want to, I kind of just want to give like a brief overview of like a bit of the history and what's happening. But eventually they come to this West Indian domestic scheme and the West Indian domestic scheme was targeted, a targeted immigration program. Um, and about 3000 women from the Caribbean came to Canada to work as domestic servants. Um, those women came from Jamaica, uh, Trinidad, Guyana, the Lee, leeward and wayward islands i don't know if i said that correctly and barbados um and they they were able to come as domestic domestic servants um well under very restrictive um terms so even though the terms to come to canada under the west indian domestic scheme policy was very restrictive it still increased it still allowed for um the presence of black people black immigration to increase in canada in the post second world war era um the scheme combined an immigration program with canadian diplomacy as part of canada's evolving economic relationship with caribbean nations It also contributed to the growth of Caribbean culture in Canada, especially within Toronto and Montreal communities. Um, So the scheme, the West Indian domestic scheme took place between 1955 and 1967. Um, And it benefited the Canadian government to do this largely because there was, it helped meet the demand for domestic labor at that time. Um, so there was actually a quota, of course, a quota of a hundred, but the system was so successful that the annual quotas increased through the sixties. Um, and keep in mind that there was a demand for this because during that time period between 1955 and 67, a lot of women in Canada had actually started to go out to work. Um, women become, came much more active in the workforce. Um, so they needed help um to take care of kids and things like that 
So to be eligible, women had to be single between 18 and 35 years of age and have at least an eighth grade education, pass a medical exam conducted by Canadian immigration officials, etc. Um, through this process, they were also subjected to a level of moral scrutiny that was not only unique compared to other immigration programs, but also significantly influenced the way they were perceived in Canada, as well as their lived experience in the program. The women who came to Canada as part of the scheme were paid less than uh, they anticipated, while also being required to work longer hours. After a year of domestic work, the women were granted landed immigrant status, and they were permitted to seek education and employment opportunities in other fields, while also being able to sponsor sponsor family members um, to permanent residency in Canada. So... Um, the West Indian domestic scheme, um, really was sort of, I would say the catalyst for what led to, um, other groups of people. I think I said before, other groups of people and other black, um, immigrants, um, within the Caribbean and elsewhere to come to Canada um, because not long after, um, the borders were opened up. Um, but yeah, there was a, there was a, there was a black presence in Canada through this West Indian domestic scheme, um, of women, especially. And, um, I highly recommend another podcast, uh, another podcast, well, two podcasts I'm going to shout out here. I highly recommend um, if you guys haven't looked into or listened to, and if you do like podcasts, um, a podca- podcast called um, Strong and Free. And it's a Canadian podcast that flo- focuses on black history, actually. And they have an episode, I think their first episode is actually on the West Indian domestic scheme. And it goes into detail um, the woman who narrates it is actually able to speak to her mother who came in not directly under the scheme, but shortly thereafter it, um, and can kind of speak to what the process was like, but it's very interesting and, um, uh, delves more into the, the process and what her experience was and, um, yeah, just the history of it. Because, again, we don't have any history of these things. Um, we're just starting to learn about these things. So, yeah, um, that kind of leads me to the Black immigrant experience in Canada. And I wanted to talk about it because, as I said, my parents um, came as immigrants to Canada from Guyana. And it's funny because... Although they wouldn't necessarily speak to their experience as black history, it completely is black history. Like every time I talk to my mom, especially my mom and I talk about a lot of things, I'm, I really need to like get more stories out of my dad. He's, he's more reserved and quiet when it comes to his stories. He's shared a couple, but my mom is like, oh my goodness, she has so many stories, y'all, in her, like, in the vault. And um, 
the way she talks about it, it's just like they just pour out like, I don't know, but so many stories. And um, when she like this year, especially, I was like thinking about the stories that she tells me and how I think what sparked it was there was this magazine that um, released images like images of old Toronto um, back in the 60s and 70s and there was a lot of images of black Canadians in that magazine the photographer kind of documented um, a lot of the black Caribbean scene during that time so I was showing it to my mom and I was like oh mom do you remember this like this center that existed and she was like yeah I used to go there (laughs) and exercise and then and she would just like tell start telling me all these stories um and so it really just got me thinking of how even though there has been a huge erasure of black history in Canada by the Canadian government and institutions. Um, I've sort of been able to build my own archive of black history stories through my parents and um, a lot through my mom. And I just really felt like grateful for that because me being a mother now, I'm able to sort of share that history with my daughter and me being 40 now I'm like damn I'm actually I'm old to her (laughs) like I have my own history as a black woman in Canada as a black person in Canada I have my own experiences to share that are different to my parents experiences to be honest like um you know their experience as immigrants in a lot of ways are experiences I don't fully relate to like I understand I understand aspects of of the racism they may have experienced um because I've experienced racism but it's 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 still in a different way like our cultures and it's so funny um when you talk to any child of immigrant parents it's like that cultural clash sometimes like where their their experience in Canada can be very different from your experience in Canada because they're especially if they're if they came here as adults um they're fully formed people who grew up in countries where their socialization is completely different um and I think about the the differences a lot um between how I experienced race and internalized racism in Canada versus how my parents did. In fact, they didn't internalize racism really because they didn't grow up with it. There was nothing to really internalize. I mean, I would say they've internalized colonialism to a degree um, because we all have um, being raised in colonial countries that were colonized and that were owned uh, you know, by colonizers, there you have no choice but to be indoctrinated in under that, you know, that way of of thinking. So they have that kind of experience, but in terms of like the day to day systemic um, racism of growing up in a predominantly white country, 
there's a bit of there's a bit of a difference there between like the way I internalized racism and the way my parents did because like I said I don't really think they did um like my parents will tell you that they didn't ever view themselves as less than anybody or they didn't even really understand like you know I don't think they really even fully understood like you understand the concept of it but it's just kind of like to them it was a joke that people could think that they were better than them you know um because they just weren't they they were confident in who they were they never felt less than um and I think that growing up being being born in Canada and growing up where your external like outside of your family the environments that you spend the most time in are environments where people don't necessarily look like you they're not necessarily the people who are teaching you um so or people in in positions of power who don't look like you when you grow up in that um you internalize what it means to be black in a different way um so i think that our experiences are different in some ways um similar in others um but it's it will be interesting to to be able to again share the stories of my parents with um my daughter and also be able to share my own personal experiences with her um as a black person growing up in Canada in the 80s and 90s um and on so reflecting on that I just thought it was really cool because it's not even just about racism that's not the totality of my experience as a black person that's not the totality of my my parents experiences as as people of color black people um in this country at all that's a part of it but just just in general like our day-to-day lives what that looked like um and again as my mom tells me as my mom shares stories with me like which she does in just general conversation um they just often make me have I guess a a deeper appreciation for the ways in which like people like her and my dad and other West Indians who came to this country during that time really carved a path and they didn't know they were carving anything it was really just about them wanting to experience something new um but they really came here and carved a path and um whether they knew it or not uh gave this country culture, color, (laughs) um, spice, (laughs) food with flavor, uh, music, like just labor, work. I mean, my parents are contributing citizens, you know? Um, and yeah, like I just, I just think it's all so important to, as part of our history and, in recognizing and I guess too you know because I grew up 
not really having access to an understanding of the black presence in Canada. And it's something that as a 40 year old, I'm still learning so much about. Um, it's just a way for me to feel like, Hey, you're actually, you have a closer connection to history here than you think or that, and then you thought you did. Um, and you yourself, me, myself, am a part of that history too. And you don't have to have, you know, you don't have to be famous. You don't have to be, you know, like an inventor of something or an extraordinary athlete or a singer or entertainer to have contributed. You just had to have lived and carried out your day-to-day life and, and, um, and you've, you were part of that. You were part of the fabric of, of the country. And, um, yeah, um, that's sort of, that's sort of what I have been reflecting on in terms of black history this, this year. And it's so funny because I looked up like the theme for black history month in Canada for this year, 2022, they always have like a, every year they have a specific theme And funnily enough, the theme for this year is um, February and Forever, Celebrating Black History Today and Every Day, which focuses on recognizing the daily contributions that Black Canadians make to Canada, which is so funny because I was, that's exactly what I was thinking about is just like the everyday daily contributions that my parents made to this country. Um, And so it really tied in nicely. So having said all that, I'm going to just read what I wrote on my Instagram love letter to my parents and to my aunts, uncles, extended friends of the family, like people I grew up with um, and those who I never met and don't know, but who came during that time period that my parents came, who came as under the West Indian domestic scheme program. It's just a love letter to all of those black folks. Um, And so I'll share it. It probably didn't occur to my parents that moving to Canada as black racialized immigrants in the early seventies would make them a direct link to my own understanding and learning of the black immigrant experience in the days when Canada had just opened up its borders to black people and other racialized groups. My mother in particular is a living archive of stories and experiences of the racism and xenophobia she and others like her experienced. She also often speaks of the strong community of Black West Indians living in Toronto who were vital to surviving and navigating it all. I think about growing up as a Black person in Canada and reflect on how I am now a living archive to my daughter. She will get to learn about my lived experiences and the experiences of my black friends and peers growing up in the 80s and 90s through me, just as I learned through my mom. I I am black history for a new generation. I am a vault of stories passed down to me by the black people in my life who came before me, and I get to now be the passer. Black history is more than strung together facts about famous black people from the past. Black history to me means taking in the vibrant, nuanced, raw, and powerful stories of the day-to-day lives of ordinary Black folk. Folks like my parents who, whether they know it or not, helped bring life to this country 
by sharing not only their culture, but also their hard work and labor. Capturing the breadth and depth of the Black experience in history, let alone getting true and accurate accounts of it, isn't always easy, but I'm grateful for the ways in which I have been granted access to very small pieces of it through my parents. This month and every month, I celebrate the extraordinary, ordinary Black people who live, or lived, regular lives, yet in their own ways stood up to a system that was built to exclude them, while creating pathways for others who look like them to plant roots and thrive. You are seen and appreciated. Happy happy Black History Month. So that's my Black History Month love letter. Um, I hope you guys check out some of the resources that I listed. Um... I try not to get too uh, heavy with like books and things like that. I try to make it as accessible as possible because I know everybody is busy. But if you do like podcasts, I really recommend that you check out Strong and Free, which is a black Canadian podcast um, with, um, you know, historical, all black historical content in Canada. Um I recommend you check out CBC's Ideas, which is a radio program. Um, Google Canada's Slavery Secret, The Whitewashing of 200 Years of Enslavement, and listen to the two-part series. It's amazing. Um, And check out the podcast Secret Life of Canada. Um, That podcast shares... um, black history in Canada but also indigenous history and is really just a great historical um, resource on Canada in general and the things that we never learned about Canadian history um, as it pertains to a lot of different groups of people so I highly recommend that one as well Um, I want to end this with just an encouragement that we as black Canadians and even if you're not black and you're listening to this that we we do more to understand the black presence in Canada and that we do more to really educate ourselves as much as possible as much as we have access to because as we know access has not been granted access to history has been has been buried and we've we've had to sort of like rely on stories um and a lot of digging up by historians to to give us the truth but i really encourage us to tap into canadian black history Uh, And even if you're not from Canada and you happen to be listening to this um, and any of it resonates or interests you, please do, you know. Um, I love Black American history and culture. And if it wasn't for Black American presence, um, I probably wouldn't have learned about myself (laughs) and just blackness in general to be honest because if it weren't for them and their influence we we really wouldn't have had it here in Canada like it was really through their influence that we were able to 
to see ourselves. Um, and so I have a deep, deep love and appreciation for um, African-American culture and history for that reason. But I also want to encourage us to tap into our own because it's there. And on that note, I will talk to you guys next time. Take care. Bye.